Hello and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film is Full Metal Jacket, directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Matthew Modine and Arlie Ermey. My name is Cameron Tuttle and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Cameron. How are you? How's your week starting off? Oh, I'm tired. So, you know, always good to start the week. Not very fresh, uh, very (laughs) unfresh. I had a moment Um, on Sunday where I was trying to take just a time to breathe. You know, like I was like, I want to watch the sunset. I was like adamant about that. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just sat in this chair with Jules and we were talking and things were going pretty good. Um, But then like a bunch of family drama popped up and then we got in a, uh, you know, little dispute about wedding planning things and it just all went into the trash can on Sunday and I left I was like man that was like the complete opposite of what I was trying to do you know like have you ever had those moments where you're like I'm gonna take time for myself it just doesn't like I feel like it's the adult curse that if you attempt to do that you will be sunk your ship will be sunk Cameron you know what I'm saying Uh, yeah I mean I get I I do get what you're saying um, but it's still good. You should still try to take those moments of mindfulness. I don't, I don't even do it. So <laughs> it's weird. I, it's almost like I would prefer to be working. I think it's a Bay area ism or whatever. It's something like you, you work and it's more peaceful than attempting to relax. And I think maybe I'm a workaholic. <laughs> I'm not sure. Even before this show came when I was telling you, I was like, oh yeah, I was filming these little videos where i was just content creating for no reason and i was like why was i doing that i should have just been relaxing you know like mm. pre pre the show so i think it has something to do with that second cold brew that i had around an afternoon i was like i'm gonna be doing a show late so i'm gonna i'm gonna stay hyped up and cameron you look like you're about to throw yourself out of the window right now <laughs> like, please i'm just tired dude <laughs> I, I so i went over i went to down to fresno this weekend to hang out with brad um, which ended up in us staying up until way too late every night um, and uh, doing terrible things to our bodies. So I just I I feel like I'm I'm, you know, back in SF, but it, it it's like I'm drained, you know, yeah. I didn't get a I, I didn't really get a relaxing weekend. It was fun, though. I mean, can't deny. But yeah, my weekend was like a blink minus that like moment of attempted rest. Like Friday night, I was actually contracted to shoot a concert with my friend uh, Josiah. He's like Josiah Media. Um, he's from uh, he well he was from Oregon, but now he's somewhere in Nashville. Um, but he was like, "Hey, I I got a pretty big contract. Like, would you be willing to be a second video shooter?" And it just worked out because it was like near my work, which was pretty cool. So just after work, I went to this this video shoot. Um, I got to shoot on an A7R4 with like a Zeus lens or something. So it's ice. It's ice. Whatever. I I'm don't. I don't. I try to stay away from cameras now because I'm just tired. <laughs> I was like, you gotta pay me money to show up with a camera at this point. Like I'm not. And it was a it was a pretty fat check too. So I I, I was happy to be there. You know. Um. But we we shot um some video together and around 11 p.m. the concert's still going and it was for a specific song we were doing a single it's supposed to be like a video a music video for a single and he was long done with that with that song and so we were just kind of meandering filming b-roll and i was like josiah do i really need to be here anymore and he was like honestly no dude you could just leave and i and i was like it's 11 p.m. 
I'm done, bro. So then like Saturday was like recovery, right? I watched the movie that we're going to talk about today. Um, so it was kind of, it was kind of fun to be, I I've been doing this. My, my pattern Cameron is Saturday is like laundry and the podcast movie. That's like my mm. new, I'm like just folding clothes and watching this like movie that. at the same time. It's very, it's very nice, but it is still like I'm working and watching, you know, at the same time. Um, and then of course Sunday was a train wreck. So it was like blink of the eye and the weekend's <laughs> over, you know, I'm like, Man. yeah, yeah, I feel that. I definitely feel that. Well, have you been watching anything else this week or should we should we get into it? I have been watching nothing because I've been busy. So nothing well, to report, basically. I have I've continued watching uh Clone Wars the animated series. I just started with season three because I didn't want to watch the older animation. Um I love this show. I think it's like I mean, sure, it might be a little cringy, but I am so amazed how deeply political the third season is um which doesn't even make sense but like most of the plots have to do with trade blockades and like the politics of neutral systems like being involved in combat and in in aid relief like the last episode i watched was about a planet that was neutral uh, that had strong ties to the Trade Federation, which apparently in the canon, the Trade Federation has nothing to do with the Separatists uh, in the show. They're, 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 they do, they are involved, but they're like, no, we're not. You know, like it's like a political ploy. And the um, this basically, the Republic sends uh, Jimmy Schmitz to, you know, say, hey guys, you should give some relief because. The people on this one planet, they're starving, they have no food, and they were like, okay, we'll help, but then, like, the sep- the Trade Federation shows up and say, hey, you know, like, that's our trade blockade, like, if you're doing that, you're breaking our allegiance, and that means you're picking a side uh, politically, and it's like, the episode is, like, kind of stupid, you know, somewhat, but, like, there's, like, I was like, what kid is gonna understand what the heck is going on in this show? I mean, you think they really care? It's It's, like, it's very... It's very um, George Lucas, but put through a filter of Dave Filoni. So if you enjoy, you know, The Mandalorian and you can stomach the animation, I recommend the Clone Wars series. It only gets better in the later seasons, um, but I I feel like it is really for the Star Wars hardcore. So, uh, and I did watch another movie that I wish I could remember the name of. I'm going to look it up actually here. Um, Yeah, I think it was a Netflix uh comedy like dancing like it had dancing in it it was very weird um <laughs> uh, it was like it was like about a lady who got in a coma uh when she was in <laughs> high school um and like she woke up she woke up original. Sorry, I'm like typing and and trying to talk at the same time. Um, let me see. Netflix teen comedy. Sure. Yes. 
<laughs> I'm looking at this. Why don't you just go to your Netflix and see your recently watched? Oh, well, I watch it on Juliana's, all right? I watch it on uh, Juliana's, okay? <laughs> you think I'm going to watch this movie alone? Anyways. See, see this, is what you, this is what you'll often tell me you, you do. You just watch terrible movies with Jules for, for no reason. Well, she was like, Isaac, I want to watch when this When you could really... watch good movies with her. Sure, sure, sure. She, she was just like, Isaac, I really want to watch this old, or I want to watch this new Netflix original movie um, that you know, has this, uh, British lady who, um, was overweight, but she lost a bunch of weight for this movie or something like that. Um, I guess she was like the fat chick in Mean Girls. Do you know who I'm talking about? Fat Amy. Have you ever seen mm. Mean Girls or whatever? Yeah. I, I sort of remember. All right. This is it's how I'm going to find, I'm going to find this movie. Okay. Uh, it is, this Patricia Halbert, that is the actress, <laughs> and she is in what movies? Come on, tell me, Google. <laughs> I feel like a grandpa. Uh, movie Netflix. I know, I know that this can be true. I think it's called Senior Year. That's what it's called. All right, Senior Year. Boom. You all of you cared. That's why I spent so much time telling you guys. All of you cared about this. That Cameron's was like, like that was painful. I'm sorry. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm just going to leave it in. All right. Anyways, this movie is a musical. I'm not sure why. Uh, it's kind of doing that 13 going on 30, which is a much better movie. But this movie is like she's a junior. She hits her head. She wakes up from a coma. And it attempts to be funny, but it's not funny at all. And they keep breaking out and dancing. The reason I wanted to bring up this movie, Cameron, is for no reason. I don't think you should watch it. Really, the reason was, man, I'm so glad West Side Story wasn't like that. And that's basically all <laughs> I want to say from that. Is that, you know, I, I guess as I think about West Side Story, I'm like, you know, for a musical, that was not just good. That was like excellent. Well, and, for, uh, for I mean, for a musical, what about for a movie? I mean, it is just excellent all around. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, maybe sort of, maybe kind of. So, all right, Cameron, this is Cinema Spectator. We talk about movies. Obviously, I'm not the expert. It takes me 20 minutes to find out what I watched this last I mean, week. I didn't know what you were talking about. So, so. Uh, <laughs> how could you not know senior year, Cameron? Uh, you, should, you should be up to date on all these releases. Sure, um, that's true. You can support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions, throw a couple dollars our way, get exclusive show stuff uh, that we put out whenever we feel like it, I guess, because we work full-time jobs. Uh, if you don't have a few dollars, it's all good. You can give us a rating on iTunes, tell friends and family. All that stuff helps the show grow. Any of your support, even just listening to the show, uh, helps us. It encourages us. So thank you guys for listening, sticking with us when we bumble around looking for movies. Cameron, uh, it's time to get into Full Metal Jacket. I have seen this movie before. It was yes. great to revisit it. Let's do it. Is this our first time doing a movie that you've already seen? I'm trying to think. No, I think I've, we've definitely watched something together that I've seen before. Um, I don't know. I think it might be the first time. Um, but who knows? I'm, I'm going to sure. double check. You you just go with the intro. But yeah, so um, Full Metal Jacket, obviously one of, I would say one of the most famous along with um, The Shining, the most famous of Kubrick's films. Um pretty highly regarded in terms of sort of the classical canon of of what is considered a a great Kubrick film um and I think well deservedly I this was I believe my first 
Kubrick movie that I've ever, that I had ever watched. Um, and it definitely thrust me into a world of, um, uh, horror alienation, um, a little bit of, of humor and a certain element of, uh, the sort of darkness and, um, evil that that resides inside humanity uh which i think you know he certainly explores in this movie though i think with some with some interesting complexity and with some some narrative uh complexity that was very uncommon for you know movies of this era but also you know still pretty pretty uncommon to have a movie that pretty much shifts focus halfway through or you know maybe a a, a third of the way through um it's it's an it's an interesting element. I mean the the very famous beginning scenes are, um, you know they're they take up a lot of the movie. They're a big portion of it. Um, I think deservedly so because it's such a great uh, sequence. But it it really isn't even the story of the movie. It's like the the prelude to the story of the movie, which is which is very odd. I I would say most movies, you know, they try to give their opening scene 15 minutes or so and then uh then kick you off out into the world but i i mean it's a it's a long opening and quite a um it leaves quite the impression i would say um and you know to be fair that is what most people remember about the movie is this uh you know boot camp sequence where they're all sort of being thrust into this hellish new world of um bullying and um hazing and a, a certain element of group peer pressure um and then obviously famously Arlie Ermey's wonderful performance as a uh cruel and brutal uh drill sergeant so i think i think that's definitely the most sort of recognizable portion of the movie but one thing you forget in in sort of thinking about this movie over time is how interesting the narrative sort of grows from there and sort of what it what it says about the war how deeply political it is and um it in kind of interesting ways and maybe not unique ways in terms of uh what hollywood was producing at the time but certainly in um uh there's there's an element where you can kind of see the clockwork orange in this movie too um at least for me i thought that in this viewing i was i was really surprised at how much he's he's sort of um he's sort of delving right back into the the sort of depths of humanity like it like it was in that movie and um in some ways like Barry Lyndon that we did last week is a very calm and kind of peaceful movie. It's it's still about, you know, sort of a scummy person, but it's not really um as sort of deep in terms of its um, you know, sort of what it's trying to hit at 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 the philosophical level as this movie is. So, um it is interesting comparing these two because one I had never seen Barry Lyndon and this is a movie I'm much more familiar with, um but one that I sort of looked on I, I look a little bit differently on from this viewing. So um, tell me your experience the first time you watched it and um, sort of what, what you're going into, you know, now coming, coming for off the second watch. Yeah. I, my, my original viewing, the scenes and portions of the film that stuck with me the most was um, 
the sniper's nest push uh, at the end, the finale. Yeah. And um, the opening scene. So the beginning and the end were the two things that really stuck with me. I do remember, um, I guess, spoiler warning, but I do remember uh, the suicide that happens in this film. Um, I, You know what was surprising is I couldn't remember if he shot the drill sergeant or not. Mm. That scene, when it started, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen besides the suicide. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I don't remember exactly what is going to occur in this scene. So... My my initial impression was very surface level. I think it was like I like this Vietnam movie. I think it's good, um, and I and I enjoyed a lot of it. Um, this viewing, I think, with the context of Kubrick, I felt a little alienated by the movie, um, which I was surprised about. And I think the word you used, philosophical, is probably the best way to put about this film. Um, now that we've seen some of Kubrick's other films, I think there is an emotional side of him that seems a little like it's in hibernation during this film. Mm. Um, I think that there's a feeling of like anger that comes with this movie. Uh, yes. Something, something is boiling under very the surface, so. but I don't think very under the surface, but yeah, I, I mean, you're right. <laughs> Uh, what I what I didn't see from this movie was an ex like an explosion of the emotion. It was almost like there was a distant watching uh, in this film, where you're not like I specifically like the scene where the squad is getting like gunned to bits by the sniper. Like it's like intentionally you are watching it. And there's no, like the the troop the other troopers are like in agony. They're like, no, like we gotta. Those are our guys, you know. But there's something about it that's like helpless. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and I yes. feel like this whole yes. film feels like kind of helpless. Whereas other Kubrick movies that I've seen, there's like a little bit of velocity around um, the emotion. And I couldn't help but think about uh, Kirk Douglas in uh, Paths of Glory where there's that awesome ending scene where it's like you can you can feel Kubrick's youth coming out where he wanted to stand up in front of the class and shout his opinion, you know? Yeah. And yeah, and that Kubrick bit. isn't here like in this movie. Do you know what I mean? I definitely um, I definitely think that there is an opinion and he is saying something with it, but it doesn't feel as youthful. Well, and it's I that that is true, um but I I also think that the same Kubrick is is in Paths of Glory too, because I think that movie has, um, the uh, I mean the int like it the interesting part of that whole sequence is that you know he's yelling at the at the class and you know he's he's the one standing up there he's got the righteous flame, um, and in many many ways you as the audience identify with that and think that he is. At, you know, has the correct position, but there is a futility with that scene as well. It feels like it, it feels a little bit like the snipers, uh, you know, the sniper sequence in, in full metal jacket where everything right. is being, you know, everything is on display and you feel the righteousness and the passion, but there is a helplessness there. Um, now this, this movie I think is, well, I guess 
maybe first before we continue on, let's give a, just a little brief background for people who haven't seen it. Um, uh, just like storyline, I guess. Um, sure. Follows sure. a group of uh of Marines. Specifically, it actually follows one Marine, um, nicknamed Private Joker, uh, Matthew Modine's character, and um, you know, it goes through his. Um, basically his dehumanization ritual in the beginning of the movie through his journey as a, um, as a journalist, a military journalist, um, by the end of the movie. And so he gets thrust into certain situations and you see he, he's kind of a passive character in terms of how he is depicted. And, and a lot of that is because his perspective um, you see it as sort of, uh, him retelling his, like in a journalistic way, I would say, um, that's what you, you kind of get from, from the things that are being described, which I think is why it comes off as a little bit distant, um, yeah. probably because his character is meant to be a little more, um, in the background and even the sequences where he is kind of, uh, showing, showing his hand a little bit, you know, um, talking about how he do he doesn't like that um they're making up kills and you know things like that like talk talking back a little bit to his um his commanding officer like there are moments where he you see a little bit of the youthful energy in in his character and it gets ground down by sort of the end of the movie and i think throughout the movie you see him kind of become more distant become a little bit less um uh, in, in like an, uh, it's, it's funny because he, um, he's got this se sequence with a, with like a general or a captain or whatever, where he's wearing a, um, he's wearing a peace, uh, button on his, um, on his uniform and he, he's written on his helmet born to kill. Um, and you know, the commanding officer basically reams him about it and is like, what do you, what do you think that's like, if you get killed, what do you think that's going to, what kind of messages is that going to send? And he was like, I think it's about <laughs> respectfully. I think it's about the duality of man, sir, <laughs> you know? And, right. And, right. And so he, he gives kind of a snarky, um, answer in some ways. Um, and so there, the emotion of his character I think you kind of you kind of see it, um, and he's got a charismatic attitude, at least for a Kubrick movie, I would say. Um, but you're right that he is distant, probably because he's this is like a retelling, or it's, is what I'm imagining. It's like a retelling of this, of some of his journeys, you know, in in the war. Um, so I, I I do I do agree, but I I would I would say that um, Paths of Glory has a certain element of helplessness in it too, um, and it has more of sort of the wistfulness or like a hope for humanity in some ways, like a tiny glimmer of hope. Mm -hmm. But I think this movie, why it's it's so interesting to me, and why it it I think it really hit me this time going back to it. Um, I think Kubrick is putting up a thesis one about the ant like he is this movie is explicitly anti-war obviously um but I think what Private Joker says in his um you know talk back his little sar sarcastic moment with the the CEO um 
I think that's actually the position of the movie. Um, I think Kubrick is talking about how how evil and terrible all of this is, but how much we we love the destruction and we love to see it and we kind of think of it as a game in some ways. And the entertainment value of the movie partially is coming from us um, wanting to see them succeed in the war um, just as much as it is about how how evil and terrible the things of the war are. Um, and that's why I think the ending sequence is so interesting and probably why you remembered it in, in some ways is that it is a great action scene. It really is. Um, it's entertaining. It feels thrilling you get the same sort of vigor that you would in a in you know a blockbuster movie um but the conclusion of that scene is so devastating that you feel like terrible (laughs) about it right um and you feel you feel a little bit like you were a part of the reason that um things went so poorly um, like you hmm. wanted to see the things go go bad. You wanted the destruction. Um, yeah, and and dude, <laughs> that's quite the tightrope you have to walk if you're Kubrick. Um, yeah, yeah. I I I think I want to clear it up. I I definitely on my second viewing didn't. I, I it was strange. I didn't. The thing I really thought about walking away from it is is like for some reason Barry Lyndon was a more emotional experience for me than watching this film you know sure and yeah that, that's okay. pretty shocking that's pretty shocking for me walking away cuz i really liked this movie the first time i saw it you know yeah um and it's not that i didn't like it and i'll say it right now i mean i do think that this movie is for everyone i think everyone should watch this i mean there's language and it's a war movie, you know, like yeah. that, that's a, yeah. it's a war movie. It's going to have language and violence, but like, I kind of feel like this should be re- like required viewing in some regard, you know? Um, yeah. And I am interested in my own feelings about it because the first time I watched it, I felt like I liked it more, but I didn't even analyze it at all. Besides, like, small things of being like, you know, war is bad, you know? Um, <laughs> Which and, is kind of the thrust of almost all of Kubrick's movies. But, right, you know, right. I mean, he gets more... I I don't know if this is, like, more complicated than some of his other ones, but it certainly is... Um, it's a different take than any of his other war movies. All of them have sort of a different perspective in his litany. So, but go on. What I noticed this time watching Full Metal Jacket is that the duality the duality line was an extremely prominent pillar i like that you brought brought that up because it was one of the things i was thinking about the most and how there are like the meathead soldiers that are shown and then also like very human like relatable characters that you don't even really know why you like, but there's something about their delivery and acting that is more convincing almost than any other Kubrick movie, you know, that that I've watched. I I mean, the line I was thinking about a lot is like, after Joker shoots the sniper, uh, the guy was like, hardcore, man. 
hardcore. You <laughs> yeah. Know? And he yeah. has that line. And I was like, that is like the most like normal response. Like to me, I was like, that feels like a real human response sure. to someone awkwardly not knowing what to say in a, in a moment like that. And it also and, and fits it, in the tenor of all the characters too, right? And it reinforces that theme of um, the duality, you know, the issue of the duality of enjoying because hardcore, right? What does that mean? What does that imply? Right. It's like it, extremely. It's like bad and good at the same time. You right? enjoy the the fact that is that it is terrible in some ways, right? You know, hardcore. Yeah. It's like that's disgusting, and also like can't believe it was so great i can't believe that happened you know what i mean like right. it, it is both of those things at the same time and just thinking about the squad and um the boot camp training sequence where it feels like all the characters are a few steps away from being ungrounded but they're always real enough for me right i would like say with one exception but um, it's a kind of a brief scene. I I I I can overlook it. It's fine. Um, there's that sequence in the plane where they're flying to yes, their yes. destination. <laughs> and there's guys, that, that, that's the it's over the top. <laughs> yeah, that character is like why? Like that's where it feels like an <laughs> '80s action movie for no. Like that's like that guy's from Bro Force, you know. Like it doesn't even yes, make sense why yeah. he's, you know. Uh, whereas everyone else seems to have a hint of. Um, like self-realization, even, even the drill sergeant who's terrible, there's always a feeling of like him still being aware of how, how like obnoxious he is. And there, there are like little moments where it's almost like you can kind of tell that he still cares about the guys he's yelling at. You well, know? I think, I actually think the one moment that really hit me in this viewing i was like i was blown away by it actually um because i never know i didn't even think about it never considered it before there's a moment where he so he he goes to he comes in yelling like it's a sort of like people are goofing off in the bathroom you know right. and he comes in in character and he's yelling and he um you know he has this very like um exaggerated way and like exaggerated rhythm when he's when he's talking and when he's yelling um and then he sees the he sees pile he sees joker and he he yells like what like um what is he doing with that rifle in uh, in my head and um then joker explains that it's loaded and he he the character goes away and he drops right. his voice for the first right. time and the only right. time in the movie. Yeah. He drops his no, voice. No, I totally noticed that. That was like such a great moment. <laughs> and it, it like it was it was mind-blowing for me because that's the only time it ever gets acknowledged that he's playing something. Even though you know, you understand that that's what he's doing. Like when he's what he's yelling at these people, you know, you get that the, that this is like performative both for the experience of the viewer, but also for the experience of, you know, the Marines who are going through it. Um, it's like this exaggerated performance. And that doesn't mean that there's anything like playful about the performance. It is still, <laughs> you know, he's still putting them through all of this stuff. But that's the only time that you 
you get to see that there's a person behind the mask. Um, I would say, I mean, there's even moments of positive affirmation in his performance that they're like tough love and character. Um, yeah, like, like when, he, he's, he, when he's reading like where the troops positioned or uh, even with Pyle where he's like, I think we found something you're actually good at when he's like shooting yeah. and stuff. Like you can still tell that there's someone there even though he, he, but he loves his job, you know, like you can tell he loves his job being like just a total uh, jerk to everyone. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I found his, the drill sergeant's performance in the second viewing to be much more, um, human than I expected. Uh, because my initial watching was like, wow, that guy is just unhinged and very nuanced too. I mean, yeah, as terrible of a person as he's portrayed in, you know, most moments, there's a certain like he's he's operating out of a out of a, a philosophy that um, makes it is it is his belief that it makes strong soldiers right right so it, right so it has no it whether or not you agree with his his language or how he's treating the um, you know the the recruits or whatever um, in his mind he's doing it for the good of. Um, you know, future units essentially for for his brothers, basically. Yeah, um, yeah. A- and I was thinking a little bit about Jarhead too, because we yes. watched that movie. Um, oh my gosh, this whole movie I was thinking about Jarhead. Yeah, and and obviously Jarhead is is very inspired by this movie. Like I think there's yeah. no doubt. Um, but in you know, in some ways, like the I think Jarhead puts a little more emphasis on the group dynamic of the sort of the hazing of the Marines where this only touches on it a little bit, but I think it's commented on. There's a line where he says, um, um, uh, he's punishing pile for the donut. And he, he, you know, he says, I don't think you guys have motivated private pile enough. Basically saying like, you, you better bully him. <laughs> essentially right, right. um like you, you guys have tried the the soft touch on him and it has not worked obviously um and so like there is an element of of like reinforcing the uh the group dynamic of it uh you know basically for better or for worse and so it is kind of interesting to have um to have joker go through this sort of horrific training and and being ground into um you know essentially being being part of the group and part of the the unit um but to see joker in the rest of the movie he's he's the outsider to that philosophy um in a lot of ways and he becomes it uh he becomes sort of the 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 everyman um the individual uh who you follow and I I don't know. I found that kind of interesting that, you know, again, that that little bit of, of sort of play between um, this group dynamic that obviously in some cases works very well. Um, but throughout the movie, you're sort of reinforced that the, you know, individuality of Joker is what makes him sort of a, a unique and special narrator um the individuality or you know in uh, there there's that moment where they're sort of, they're trying to decide whether or not to save 
um, I forget who it is who who goes down first, but um, they're trying to you know he gets shot by the sniper and they're trying to to decide whether or not they save him or, or whether or not they you know leave him there essentially and retreat. Um, and the uh, you know the decision to make the you know to basically sacrifice another three or four people to get his body is probably detrimental. And part of what the movie is sort of hinting at a little bit um, is some of the group dynamic, the group elements of this um, can be very dangerous. It can be very toxic. Um, so it is interesting sort of to, to I, I never really considered it in that, in that sense um, in my earlier viewings. Yeah. I think um, Joker shifts after the suicide. For yes. Sure. Yeah. Um, it was like, that was the breaking moment for him to be like, it was like he had already passed and he was kind of like, whatever. And you could really tell in those early journalism moments where he's being quite rebellious um, he's sort of just serving out his term with no goal besides like just fool, kind of fooling around, honestly, like, and, and he is very cynical, um, but you can't really blame him. Um, I think Joker's character is, um, I think it's, I think he's great in this movie. I, I enjoyed him as a lead. Um, I think you're right that he has that journalism, uh, voice, but I think he becomes a gr uh, a great surrogate for the audience in the in the last half to kind of walk through that experience with them. I want to talk about Private Pile a little bit more. Um, I found his character to be it's interesting. It flipped for me on this viewing. Um, I didn't I didn't sympathize with him as much as I did the first time. And the I'm first glad you said I that because I kind of agree. Me the too. first time I watched the movie, I disliked the drill sergeant a lot and and sided with Pyle in a way. I was like, he's a victim. In this viewing, I was like, I think the drill sergeant, um, he has a messed up philosophy, but there's something kind of effective and human about him. And my thought the whole time was like, what is this guy even doing here? You know, like what is private pile even doing here? You know? Um, and I know that that's like, I know that's kind of a silly thought, but as soon as I thought it, it was what I began to pick up from the rest of the, the Marines in training as well, where they're like, mm. who, what is this guy doing here? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, and they don't respect him. They don't, really want him there and they don't even necessarily want him to succeed. Uh, and I think Joker's intuition early on when he starts talking to his gun, like that also solidifies Joker's like individuality where he's like, Oh wait, you know, like these guys rejected him and I'm smart enough to notice it and sort of like, it was like, that's the beginning of Joker being pulled away. But what did you think of, of private pile. Cause I think from the beginning, he's extremely like, I, I think he's a great character to start, but when that shift happens, um, I was a little less sympathetic with him. Oh, you know? well, I, I would say I think he's a great character throughout. And, and I think his, I think we could probably talk another 
you know, many more hours about sort of the implications of what his character means in some ways, um, just because of how interesting he's portrayed in a lot of ways. Um, but I think you're right in that my always my impression was that he's bullied. He's sort of um, thrown into into this. And there's like, I don't know. It, I always I always thought it was like an A to B connection. Um, but I think the movie is a lot less or a lot more complicated than that in that it's it's yes, obviously his his reaction you know, being pushed over the edge in some ways uh, was from the bullying. But I think the movie, one, gives a lot of outs to Pyle, um, and two, gives Pyle a a reason to stay as well. And even in that moment where, you know, he gets bullied, um, you know, they, they all sort of hit beat him with the, uh, whatever, with the stuff in the socks and whatever. Um you know, after after that, you sort of see him change attitudes a lot towards everybody else, and sort of he distances himself. Um, he gets alienated from from everybody, but at the same time, he starts to um actually succeed, and you see him change from being uh you know basically useless and and not being able to to cut it essentially to um to a to a killer to someone right, who right. is um you know basically what the marines want and that's why it's so interesting and that's why it's so sort of complicated is because yeah obviously he turns it around on his um you know on his his teacher essentially and and it's sort of a in some ways it kind of is a standing up against the maybe you could say corrupt or maybe unethical system that, you know, that they have. Um, but at the same time, you can't help but notice that he becomes exactly what they're, what they're looking for. And had he just continued, um, he would have been a okay and perfectly fine in the, in the bounds and the constraints of, of the Marines. He totally would have, would have been one of the guys on the, on the helicopter, you know, shooting the, the farmers. And so it's like, it's, you know, there's, there's another bit of like hidden complexity in that character, not just from sort of going from a, um, you know, someone who is not very, um, you know, someone who's basically bullied to the edge to the brink um and oh poor me like isn't isn't bullying bad like isn't harassment bad ah, blah 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 um like it's not that simple like i think the movie is is also saying that um bullying worked in this case and it worked yeah. well <laughs> um and the movie i think is also he the movie makes him a very pathetic character. And that's why I think you, you don't sympathize with him very much. I, and I didn't in this, in this viewing, I felt like he was I kind of had the same thought as you, like why one, why is he here? Um, and two, um, you know, you kind of get the same, you kind of feel the same way that Joker does as he's the, the everyman character. Right. You feel right. like, you know, you just keep making like little mistakes, but 
you know, you could do it. Like it's not, it's not impossible for you. Um, you know, but it, it really just takes a little bit more and eventually he does get there. And, but it's because he was pushed over a line, um, that he, that he does. I, and I do think that maybe there's an argument to be made that private pile is a little bit slow in some regards, right? From the beginning, not just, yeah. I'm not, I, I'm saying like he might have some mental disability. And so maybe that's supposed to make him. It's, it's possible si- though. Um, well, I don't, I never mind. Yes. Yeah, I think, it's, I think the implication is that he is probably a little slow. Yeah. And, and it kind of teeters on that line. Right. Um, but I think where it begins to kind of, like, you can never tell if it's, like, happy-go-lucky mixed with, like, cowardice or if there is something wrong because eventually he does begin to succeed um, with his training. I remember there's that scene where he's, like, jumping and grabbing the rope after working with Joker for a while, right? So he's able to get there, right? Um, and then after he's bullied, he's also, like, an incredible shooter, Right. Yeah, he becomes a good shot. He becomes, you know, really like religious about his, um, you know, his his training and his cleaning of his gun and and whatnot. Yeah. So it's also I think there's also like that. It it kind of begins to trick you as an audience member. Like, is he like uh, does he have mental issues? Because now he seems like an extremely capable person, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Right. And uh, it's yeah. So. I think he's a he's a great character. I was surprised how I felt about him on the second viewing, uh, and I really I just wanted to bring that up. Um, Cameron, let's let's talk. I, I I mean, honestly, I think we've covered the beginning training enough. Um, the 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 finale with the squad, like once Joker's teamed up with the squad. Let's talk a little bit about like his. Um, his like what intern or like second writer who mm. kind of be be is is corrupted by the squad. Yeah, the photographer, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Rafterman, that, I think. Yes, Rafterman. Yeah, he's he is a. Um, I think he's kind of the like almost like a symbolic representation of like the patriotic American who wants to get involved in the war, you know, and then like what that does to someone, you know, in, in combat. Right. Cause he starts as like this very like, Oh, I just, I want to see some combat, you know, and I want to serve my country into this like guy who's like, got it. You know, he, he becomes like really obnoxiously like got to check my corners and man doing it. He's like humming music in, in as he's like clearing the room at the end of the movie, you know, well, but, but th- this is what I mean in that um, there's there's like uh, so Rafter Man, he starts off as being basically like totally like prone to sickness over any kind of violence, even the thought of violence um, in some cases. And he goes from that to being totally stoked to that. Someone is shooting like a 10 year old girl, (laughs) like totally happy that that happened. And is like, is like, man, that was awesome. Like that was a thrill ride. And so in that way, that's why I think he is like such a great character because 
he's I don't think he's just like the patriotic American. I think he's like you in mm. the opposite way that Joker is you, right? Joker is you as right. sort of the um the the maybe the the sort of hidden values of the movie, the impressions that you're bringing in as as sort of someone who's outside of the war and outside of you know any kind of violence, having maybe a little bit more morals or a little bit more complexity than the um, than the average soldier soldier maybe. Um, but Rafterman is you <laughs> at like your base gorilla level, um, you know probably weak stomached, uh, at the beginning, probably you're not going to like the thought or the idea of, um, of killing children. But by the end of the movie, you're like, you're, you're totally on board and you, you want to, you want to see that revenge. You want to, you know, you want to get the action scene. You're here for the climax of the movie. Um, and that's, that's why it's so like, it's so brilliant because he is the, He's like, I think he's the critique in some ways that Kubrick is making, but he's also like so sympathetic too. You totally understand what he's like, why there is that problem in us where you can totally go from being sickened to cheering about something horrifying in like basically a span of like 20 minutes, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's so interesting because I mean, one, obviously that was, that was intentional on, on Kubrick and on sort of the way that he's constructed that character. Um, but I, I, I definitely, I feel like there's, there's something brilliant in, in the performance, um, as well. I, um, as, Keen Major Howard um, is the actor. His performance is so like sweet and innocent throughout. I mean, throughout the whole thing, like he, he plays it basically as, as naive as possible, but very likable, you know, in, yeah. in, in a way that you uh, identify with. Yeah. Yeah. I also like um, the perspective of Joker's friend, cowboy. Um, how he is kind of like, I, I found myself sort of interested in him because he's not morally bad uh, compared to the rest of the squad. He's not like, yeah, I gotta blow up all the people, you know? Um, he doesn't, like, there's that scene where Joker's kind of clashing with um, Animal Mother when they first meet, mm. and Cowboy's like on Joker's side kind of holding him back a little bit, you know? Um, and I found that to have... And he, uh, like an even different perspective of someone who's like, I, it's like Cowboy doesn't really want to be in charge. He doesn't really want to be leading the squad. And he really doesn't know what to do the entire time. And he's basically like spat on by the rest of the team in, in, in some way, you know, like I was like, um, he's, he's not super deep, but it was just another, uh, tone in the color of gray yeah uh, it's presented with these characters and and i think um i i kind of want to get your thoughts on um what is it uh, adam baldwin's character yeah, animal, animal mother. mother dude that guy is like 
he it's I awesome. love his name. <laughs> I love his name, but like he really does bring something out in in you like when you're watching it where you're like that's the commando dude, you know? Yes. And again, you know, this is all this is all um meta reflections on your own viewing experience of of probably action movies like um you know uh what's 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 the one with I'm so tired. I I can't think of. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I can't think of movies. Um, uh, you know, it's he's like the Schwarzenegger. Um, you know, he's the Stallone. He's like he's like sort of the the stereotypical. Um, he's got the two big uh, bandoliers on him, and it, you yes. know, he's wielding a machine gun and stuff. You know, and he he really does fit the um the type of the '80s action movie. I think super intentionally, obviously. I mean, this came out in 1987. So like around this time, there was there were so many movies that were, um, you know, basically just this stereotype of like if this <laughs> if this was any other director, um, Animal Mother would have, uh, you know, uh, Joker would have got shot and Animal Mother would have like ripped his shirt off halfway through and like, you know, he painted his face in blood and like, <laughs> you know, like right. ripped through. And it would, <laughs> instead of like one sniper, it'd be like a bajillion and and he'd go through and he'd just like wreck town and, well, you know, whatever mm-hmm. else. Um, but obviously, consciously, this movie, he's shown as both, um, he's also shown as very naive. Um, and, uh, as a little bit of a tragic character too, in that he, his sort of good intentions in some ways is exactly what gets his brothers into, um, terrible situations and is exactly sort of what causes the effects of, um, you know, this, this sort of dehumanization in some ways where you go from, maybe making a a tactical decision that that would make sense where you know you retreat and you sort of regroup and um you know do something sort of pragmatic and is he is very he's all um he's all emotion he's no brain basically he he has he runs in or maybe he's all guts actually thinking about it but um you know he's he runs in and and has no regard essentially for what is the smartest um, plan. And that gets all of his friends in trouble because he, uh, you know, is a certain, he's also a certain amount of stupid with his uh, pure courage, (laughs) if that makes sense. Um, And at the same time, on top of just sort of the reversal of a common trope in action movies at the, at the time, um, there's also a sort of a, a, like a twisted sense in his character, uh, that you, you get where he, he's playing with corpses and he's, you know, he has this sort of sickly fascination with, with, with killing people, um, to an unhealthy degree. And, but even, I think there is, even is a moment at the end where he's, he's a little bit unsure of what of what his killing is is actually doing um where he, f- he feels a little bit you know that that moment where he decides uh, so you know in the end they 
she's like you know bleeding on the floor the sniper um and they have a they have a little talk about kill deciding to kill her or deciding to sort of leave her to die in agony um and his decision is to leave her um and there's a little bit of uh, there's like a a hidden subtext there about him wanting her to feel lots of pain but also wouldn't he want some of that revenge you know wouldn't he be so animated right. by by the revenge and so yeah, you, you you kind of get the you, sense that he's a little bit freaked out by the yeah, situation you, too that watching that scene again you really think animal mother's going to like slit her throat really slow yeah. or he's going to do something really messed up and I was surprised for him to be like, uh, you decide, you joker. Yeah. You know, like like he has a moment where he's like, I, I don't know. Sure, what, whatever. You know, like it, it's like a, a hesitation you don't expect from his character because he doesn't hesitate at anything else in the movie. Right. Do you know right. what I mean? Exactly. Like exactly. he just, he runs he runs in usually. Um, so when they're standing there, he's trying to be all tough, but he doesn't do anything. Yeah. You know, like he just kind of stands by. Um so I don't know, like he's he's not only entertaining to watch in the film, but there's there is that little touch, right? Um that that kind of brings his character into that third dimension. I think that's what I love the most about this movie is that characters that seem two-dimensional on the first viewing become three-dimensional on the second. Yes. Um yes. And it's I think that's why you, at the beginning when you said it's a very philosophical movie, that's how I felt is I was just really considering the characters in this second viewing. And I may not have felt it uh, as much as the first viewing or enjoyed it as much as the first viewing. Um, and I do think that Barry Lyndon is a much more emotional movie <laughs> somehow, uh, which is absurd that I'm saying that. Okay. It is absurd that I'm saying that. Um, Nevertheless, it's required viewing is how I feel. Like this yeah, movie is I agree. fantastic. Um, even when I have a small gripe about the movie, it really just becomes a consideration of what the movie's trying to say or do uh, with that with those small things. With the exception of the crazy guy shooting things. But even in our conversation now... I feel like um, Raptor Man or whatever Raptor Man. Uh, he he, his reaction to that guy is so crucial yeah. to his transformation by the end of the movie that like it, he still serves a purpose. Yes, in yes. in the film, and so yeah, I mean, I I don't have much more else to say about this movie, but I do want to talk about Platoon uh, coming out a year before. And um, Apocalypse Now coming out even uh, further like before. Seven or eight years before? Yeah. Yeah. I have not seen Apocalypse Now besides the beginning. Um, but I would say Platoon is more of the Hollywood version uh, of this movie. I love Platoon. I, I haven't seen it. Platoon, I, love, so. I loved it, Cameron. It's so fun. Uh, it's so fun and it is a very anti-war. But I think that's why it probably won a lot of awards is because the movie is still dramatic and action-packed. 
uh, but it's still being like war is bad. Um, sure. Where I think this movie, it really kind of toys with you with the action in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. I was talking to Tim. I was supposed to watch this movie with him. We're actually going to do a commentary track, but he uh, had some food poisoning. Sorry, Tim. Hope oh, you're feeling man. better. Um, he was like, oh, the first half of this movie is so good. Um, and the last half sucks. <laughs> and I like what you're saying, Cameron, about how the action scene is like edging you and then it really puts a sour taste in your mouth on purpose. Yeah. And there's something special about that. You know, like there's yeah. something really... There's something um, great about like wrapping it up, wrapping up your anti-war movie with uh, making you feel disgusting that you wanted to watch, you know, <laughs> the, the classic showdown at the end, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a perfect it's, way to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like it's... I, I mean, bringing back Clockwork Orange, right? They're con He's conditioning us. Yeah, He's, this is this is the <laughs> Clockwork Orange torture movie that he has to watch. You know, uh, he's trying to peel our eyes open and make us watch the the. He, he's conditioning us yes. to be anti-war. Yes, yes. As if that was something that needed to be conditioned. I don't well, know, but I'm, but that's his thesis, though. Is that yeah, yeah? We may say you know nice things. We we may say platitudes and whatnot, but really, at the end of the day, we're born to kill. <laughs> Really, yeah. at the end of the day, we want we want to see you know this destruction and this bloodshed, and we love it. We love seeing people shot and exploded, and you know we <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. You know that's what we love to do. Um, right. And at the end of the day, and at the end of this movie, you know he's really he's putting it in our minds that yeah maybe that's not so good that you have such a uh, you know such a sick fascination with watching people die <laughs> it's a good additional layer to the war is bad conversation yeah i think it and i don't think it's easy to get to that statement without considering it so deeply the way that he does in his films um i i love paths of glory i like that it's more hopeful than this movie <laughs> But it was a stepping stone for him to get to the point where he's at in this in this film. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I Cameron, I mean, maybe we should just stick with Vietnam, you know, uh, going into this next month. You know, I just I feel like I. Well, OK. I, so, I mean, we we talked a little bit about doing war movies. Wait, before we get we, before we transition transition into that, um, I want to talk a little bit about the alienating effect of this movie. You said it didn't work for you that much. I'm, I think it worked really well in this context. I don't know if it always works in Kubrick's movies. Um, like even Barry Lyndon, uh, is like in distant kind of emotionally, but yeah, it's still yeah. there sort of. Um, I think this movie is like, is like a perfect example of how you do it right um, in sort of getting the audience to disassociate from their own preconceptions of, you know, what, what this kind of a movie is. Um, and again, I think it's great that we brought up actually the context of sort of where this movie was, um, you know, in, in sort of the element of 
war movies and action movies in the late 80s that are like full throttle and are, you know, very gung ho about um, showing war and violence and bloodshed. And, you know, in these very stylized, um, emotional and sort of character driven ways um, where this movie is extremely distant to, to sort of pull you out of that a little bit and let you think, think about yourself in the context of, of how you are, you know, relation, uh, what is your relationship to these characters? And I do think I will say, I know we had great experiences the first time watching this. Um, but I, I can remember a certain part of me being like, that was weirder than most war movies. Like I didn't feel like, uh, um, connection to the main character that much. Um, I don't even really remember anybody who like wasn't Joker or Pyle. Like I'm kind of, I felt, you know, you feel like a little bit distant and even, even watching it for the first time, the character who you probably get the most amount of character development, like on the, on the very surface dies in the first like 45 minutes or whatever. So there is a certain um, amount of him stripping away like he's shaving your head at the beginning of the movie. He's stripping away these sort of conventions of having you identify with with, you know, a character who is um, sort of uh, like a like a Rambo figure or like, you know, something like like that, who you can sort of cast your own visions upon Um He's getting you to pull back on that and and sort of sort of let that go. And he all of his characters are kids and stupid, basically, which is really helpful for you to see how even in a world where things are so brutal, you can still be basically um, normal people are just running this, basically. So that's that's what I want to say about the alienating effect. It's really well done in this movie. I'm not sure that it always is with Kubrick, but um, I think I think this is a this is a perfect time for that. I get again, Cameron. I don't want to say that I wasn't engaged or I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't find it like great or fantastic because I I I I just yeah. I think it goes back to what you're saying. It's philosophical. I was considering a lot. I was thinking a lot during this movie more than I was feeling. Mm. Um, and you bringing up the '80s, I wanted to talk about not for too long, but just how not ironic, but like the decision around violence in this movie at particular moments. <laughs> Okay. You, you so mean like the slow-mo bloodshots. <laughs> yes, yes. So <laughs> like compare like it's it's comically 80s. Yes. The scene where the men go down to the sniper. Yeah, it's awesome. Like slow-mo, there's just like blood flying. Ah, they're like screaming <laughs> out loud. Like it's it's all it's almost funny, actually. It is. I mean it. it's great. <laughs> you know what scene doesn't make you laugh? When Pyle blows his brains out. Yep. You know? Yep. Yep. That that's a moment where you're like, I can't believe I just saw that. Or a shot where they don't even show you the violence. Yeah. Yeah. And it is very, very powerful. <laughs> right. And so I just I think the use of violence in this movie, um it plays with the audience's like love for it. 
Uh, and it you like it, yes. it's a it's very pallid. Uh, the, the violence representation in this movie. And I hadn't considered that until my second viewing where I was like, wow, that suicide scene was brutal. And it felt like I was, you know, w- watching The Last of Us Part Two again, which I did not want to, like, it, it has your gut twisting, right? Um, and then to compare that later to the commandos pushing the flank and the blood and it's like very eighties, right? I I had forgotten this movie even came out in the eighties till I just looked it up now. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, of course, of course they're showing you know, they're, they're, they're using that, uh, to their advantage in the commentary. So full metal jacket, uh, fantastic movie. And the use of the title in the film, chilling, absolutely chilling. I love that. That scene. Yeah. I mean, it's so I can't believe I had forgotten so much of it. Yeah. Um, but when he's like full metal jacket, you're like, dang, dude. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, this is like I'm tr- like you're trembling in it. It's yeah, it's yeah. if you haven't seen this movie, um, watch it. You know, you might be conflicted, but I I think um I think that even if you're conflicted you'll be glad you watched it. Um, there's, I, I, I was talking to my dad about this film because he had seen it too. And yeah, he, he was just like, yeah, like that, that movie is like one of those, he compared it, it was like it was with Platoon, it was just right next to that and it was, it was powerful, it was really good. Um, so I don't know, it's just, I think it's just one of those, one of those movies, you know, if... You haven't seen it. You got to see it once. And my dad, who didn't let me watch very much, he made he we watched this movie together mm. when I was young. So um, <laughs> it's it, it's I I I mean for me I'm like oh my goodness like you just you got to see it if you haven't seen it. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. Um, I want to go back a little bit because we're cons- we we're considering doing war movies, but I don't know if we should do exclusively Vietnam. Um, I don't know. What do you what is what is your thought on this? I've just been on a hype train with like the the war movies, man. Like I've been thinking about 1917 a lot. Yeah. Uh rewatching this movie has been great. So I don't really care, Cameron. I don't care too much. Um I do have a request. I do I I want to see Apocalypse now. I've just never seen it. Okay. So I feel like it's one of those movies even though it's long, we I got to I got to get through it. I got to I got to give my take on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's do that next, um, next month then. Uh, I think that will be interesting. Um, but I do want to do like saving private Ryan. I think, I feel like that's a, yeah. Have you seen it's that? Been, it's been so long since I've seen it. I think it's been like easily 10 years. Okay. And I just want to say this for the record. The scene I remember the most from that film, Cameron, what is the scene you remember the most from that film? Um, I remember. I actually remember a lot about the movie. I've only seen it once, but yeah, I remember I, a lot about it. I mean, obviously the the, the D Day invasion, but um, I I do love the the end sequence as well. Um, the pistol, yeah, yeah, the scene with Tom Hanks and the pistol at the oh yeah, my it's gosh, awesome. like it's awesome. It's <laughs> it, it's it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, the scene I remember the most, like I remember the pistol. I remember the doors of the boat opening 
and like how you're you're in the boat with them and you the do- the doors fall like in front of you right um but the scene i remember the most is the open field and they're burying mm. uh someone mm. the conversation with the guy digging the hole yeah. like that is like the most memorable part of that movie for me mm. and it's like a breath of fresh air so it really stands out against the rest of the film uh i'm i'm craving to watch that movie again just to see that interaction uh, between the car- the squad as that guy's digging the hole, you know, um, that is peak, peak filmmaking. <laughs> love it. I love it. That is such a good, I, I only remember loving that movie. So it'll be interesting to revisit it. Yeah. Um, I want a lot of the energy of that film reminded me of the feels that I had in 1917. Um, yeah, because the, 1970 has like a ton of those open fields, the long journey, uh, and the emotional ending of 1970, man, I know we reviewed that movie. Go watch it. People go watch it. I'm telling you. Yeah. I, I keep telling people, I'm like, I watched this movie. Have you seen this? And they're like, uh, yeah, I heard of it. <laughs> I was like, what are you guys, t- what are you guys talking about? Like, you gotta see this movie, yeah. you know? Um, it's. I'm feeling more and more excited about that. So well, I'll, I, I'll pick a selection of some good movies, but we have one more. We have one more to do. We have one more. To okay. Do. And it is. What do we? What? Um. It's his his final movie. Um. Barry Lyndon too. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that'd be awesome. <laughs> Barry Lyndon's <laughs> Adventures in America. <laughs> oh um, man. No eyes wide shut. Um. And with uh, uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. So um, should be an interesting one. I am um, mixed on this movie too, sort of. I, I remember enjoying it, um, but having like, like the reason I was mixed on Clockwork Orange, obviously, was because I, I felt like um, things were like, well, I don't know. This one I feel differently about than Clockwork Orange, I'll say. Um, not mixed for the same reason. But definitely an alienating movie. Definitely one that I think is like... Um, yeah. It's got something that I'm curious about. And I, I can't wait to rewatch it. So um, it, it's like it's a movie that I think about visually a fair bit. Um, but that I don't really understand that well. <laughs> I guess mm. I can say. Did did this movie come after Clockwork Orange? Yeah, in 1999. That I I don't know. Like just the title, I don't know very much about this movie, but the title like in comparison to, you know, Clockwork Orange where they're like stretching the eyes open, <laughs> eyes wide. Like there's just some weird connection in his canon, you know? So I guess so. Um, it's not a very connected movie, I would say. I mean, not at all. But, um, no, I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying it is. Yeah. But, but yeah, interesting. It'll be so yeah, this will close out Kubrick. And basically, I don't think we'll ever have a Kubrick movie again. So take what's fine. Take, by, take, fine by take me, that man. with what you will. I mean, because I mean all the I, rest. Are, I feel like it, you know, unremarkable. <laughs> I, f- I feel like his, the movies we have watched, um, you know, besides the ones that are very painful, <laughs> they're great. I think for me, there, there would be great movies to revisit in two to five years. Yeah. They're great, um, but exhausting. It's like when you like, Oh yeah. It's like, it's kind of like when you accomplish something that takes like forever 
but you're also like, man, I'm really glad that I did that. Like, that's what I feel like with most of Kubrick's yeah. movies. <laughs> Do I want to watch 2001 again? Absolutely. Do I want to watch it tonight? Absolutely not. You know? <laughs> and that's how I sure. feel like most Kubrick, sure, yeah. Kubrick movies are, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, I could say the same about uh, The Shining, although The Shining's probably the easiest I would put for on me the to Shining, rewatch. For sure. I would put on Full Metal Jacket, yeah. too. Um, yeah, I think those two are his 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 easiest but yeah i mean you're right there's something about even even something like a clockwork orange where it leaves you very with a distasteful element to it i i feel like it's one that i that i still think about in terms of his his sort of canon as being like um significant in terms of what i what i th- like there's like a pre Kubrick era and a of me and a post Kubrick era of me and like Clockwork Orange is one of those movies um where like I don't know that I really have even something like The Shining or like Full Metal Jacket which I watched earlier on and I f- I feel more connected to personally um they didn't I don't think they changed me quite probably as much as some of his other movies did um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, to be real, like reflecting on Clockwork, I, I don't know if I'll ever rewatch it. Uh, fair. I don't think <laughs> yeah. I want to rewatch it. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. <laughs> I found it to be probably one of the most challenging movies I've watched. Yeah. And I think, uh, and as I, I don't want to linger, Cameron, I know you're tired, but like, the more I've reflected on it, the more I think like it's because the movie does has have something. And we talked about this in the review. Like it does have something that it is tapping into. Um, but it is, it, it kind of, it, it's like Kubrick holding a lot of plates and a few are falling off as he's trying to get to his point, yeah. you know, falling out of his hands, yeah. you know, yeah. like it's kind of messy. Um, and pretty painful to sit through. And I, I like, I just, I don't like, I still feel like I don't want to recommend the movie to a lot of people. Um, but it kind of reminds me, I don't know. Like the more, the more I've thought about it, the more I'm like, it's like, you know, that book, um, by CS Lewis Cameron. Cause we, we both grew up in the church, right? Um, the screw tape letters, yeah, you know, of that course one? love the screw tape letters. Like, I feel like it's a little bit of the screw tape letters energy, <laughs> you know, where it's definitely cursed, you know, like it's definitely cursed. I mean, C.S. Lewis wrote a book and, you know, he's obviously known as Christian, but he wrote a book from the perspective of demons who torture humans. Right. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of like history around the book where he, had to take a break from writing after, right, after writing right, right, it. But he really right. he really explored a dark side of his belief. Yeah. Right. Um I think that clockwork is a little bit like that. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I totally agree. So I think like I don't know. That's where I'm like kind of teetering where <laughs> there's a part of me that's like, should it have ever been explored? I, it's it's kind of like landing on the moon in some ways, 
which is like wow bring you know back like the, the the kubrick references i guess yeah yeah <laughs> where it's like it's going to a place that y- you you probably shouldn't you know stepping a little to the left or the right and your face is going to cave in on itself you know um so i i don't know that's yeah but the the this month cameron has been um a trip for sure i will say turning on these movies this one this week's i was pretty excited for barry linden i was surprised by um but it is it is exhausting yeah. i'm ready for it to oh end. yeah for sure i'm very I get, ready i for get it that to end. yeah um, <laughs> i mean me so. too in some ways like even as kubrick is a person who i admire a lot as a filmmaker even i'm like whew, it's a lot it's a lot to take in all at once for sure so don't judge me if I'm watching these fat girl chick flick <laughs> movies or, you know, I think Star Wars, the Clone Wars. Just give me a break, you know? No, I, yeah, I agree. Just kidding. I'm <laughs> mostly kidding about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, thank you guys for listening to the show. We post every week and we will see you guys sometime next week. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at Patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.